0: ISIS's leader meets his end at the hands of the amazing American military. The Washington Post issues the world's worst headline. And Democrats seem a little nervous about the DOJ investigation into the Trump-Russia investigation. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com. It is wonderful, wonderful news today. Wonderful news al-Baghdadi, who is the leader of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, is dead at the age of 48. And he didn't die of natural causes, which is great. I don't want him to die of natural causes. I want him to suffer. I wanted things to be very terrible for him. Unfortunately, as we will see, al-Baghdadi's death brought with it the death of more innocents because this is what terrorists do. President Trump announced his death yesterday on Sunday morning. And let's just say it was an amazing moment for the Trump presidency. We'll get to that in just one second. First, you know, right now, things seem pretty chaotic. Things seem, things seem pretty much in flux. Well, when things are chaotic, when things are in flux, when it feels like governments may be manipulating their currency for economic purposes, people tend to take their money and put it into safe assets. And the safest asset of all is gold. I mean, this has been the safest asset for hundreds of years, and nothing has changed. There's a reason that gold is currently sitting at its five-year high. And there's also a reason why smart investors have always diversified at least a little bit into precious metals. I've been telling you for years, if you are not protecting your investments and your family with gold the way that. I am, you're missing the boat. Inflation, the national debt, global instability. The fact is, all of these factors can really hit your dollar savings, and they can also hit your stocks. The same thing is not true of precious metals, which have never been worth zero. Birch Gold will go to work and make things very simple for you. If you haven't yet taken the first step of requesting a free information kit on gold, you shouldn't wait. It is indeed free. Birch Gold will have a conversation with you. You can determine if precious metals m- investing makes sense to include in your portfolio. Again, it makes sense for my portfolio. I think that you'll agree that diversifying at least a little bit into precious metals, as I say, maybe more than a little bit, is a good idea. I trust the, fo- the folks at Birch Gold. I've known them for quite a while, as you know from listening to the show. Again, you should hold some Precious metals and birch gold, they're the people I trust. Text Ben to 474747 today to see how simple and straightforward the move can be for you. Again, text Ben to 474747. That's Ben to 474747. Okay, so the killing of Abu Bakr al Baghdadi is indeed a wonderful moment for the United States. Obviously, everybody is comparing this to the killing of Osama bin Laden, including the president of the United States, President Trump. It is similar in some ways, it is different in some ways, obviously. Bin Laden had taken on a certain shade in the American imagination thanks to 9-11, That Baghdadi never did. However, killing the leader of a global terror movement is obviously a massive, massive achievement, particularly by the American military, as well as, listen, President Trump gave the order, so he gets the credit in the same way that Barack Obama gave the order about bin Laden, and he gets the credit. Now, as we will see shortly, the media are not willing to give President Trump the credit in the same way they gave Barack Obama the credit. We got years of President Trump gutsy call, gutsy call, the gutsiest gutsy call that ever happened. And at the time, I was like, uh, no, he just authorized a mission to kill the most wanted terrorist in the history of Earth. So not super gutsy, especially considering the circumstances surrounding it. But, you know, listen, he got he got credit. He's the president of the United States. And then obviously he ran on that. Joe Biden, who's now running again in 2016. Joe Biden in 2012 repeatedly went to rallies and said Detroit is dead. Bin Laden is dead and Detroit is alive. That was one of their slogans. right? Bin Laden is dead. Detroit is alive. As we will see, the media, very angry at President Trump today. Why are they very angry at President Trump? Well, because he's President Trump. So that means they're going to attempt to draw back on the victory, pretend that it wasn't that big a deal, suggest that, in fact, it'll be counterproductive in a variety of ways. They're suggesting also that President Trump, his policies are undercut by the killing of Baghdadi. They're trying to suggest, of course, that President Trump really doesn't get credit for any of this stuff. And don't you remember how honorable Barack Obama was in his announcement? Don't you remember all of that? And don't worry, we'll go through all of it. Because the fact is, Trump's announcement yesterday was pretty fantastic. And there are a lot of people who are on top of President Trump, specifically because Trump was very graphic about how al-Baghdadi was killed. Good, good, I'm glad. guys, a piece of crap. Not only was he a piece of crap, people who would join the Islamic State should know that this is how they will die if they join the Islamic State at the hands of the American military, cowering in fear and shame and pathetic, self-pitying mewling. This is how they will go. They'll go with an American gun coming for them. And not only that, They should know that their leadership are a bunch of cowards. They should know that. Because the fact is that, unfortunately, in the terror world, it is the perception of the strong horse that drives people to join terror groups. If people think that the leadership of terror groups are a bunch of pathetic cowards who murder innocent children, their own innocent children, well, maybe that would change the math a little bit. We'll get to all that in just a second. First, here are the actual details. According to the UK Daily Mail... ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed when he detonated his suicide vest as U.S. Army Special Ops forces closed in on his hideout in northwestern Syria. Between 50 and 70 members of the U.S. Army Delta Force and Rangers flew in on six helicopters and surrounded al-Baghdadi during the overnight raid on Syria's Idlib province, an an official source told Fox News. Details about the raid are still emerging as officials conduct biometric tests on evidence collected from the site. An unverified video reportedly showed the moment al-Baghdadi was killed along with his three children because evil pieces of garbage like Baghdadi aren't going to go into hell alone. I mean, presumably his kids will not go to hell because they were innocent in all of this. But he brought them with him into this, wherever he was, this cave, and then blew himself up along with his three young children because a of piece of human feces. President Trump held a morning press conference on Sunday and confirmed that Baghdadi, quote unquote, died like a dog. Defense Secretary Mark Esper said there were two minor injuries to U.S. soldiers after Trump indicated that U.S. canine was injured as well. So here is what President Trump had to say about the operation. He was watching this from the Situation Room. The White House did release a photo from the Situation Room, very much like the photo released of Barack Obama watching the raid on the bin Laden compound in Pakistan uh, when bin Laden was killed in 2012, I believe it was 2011. In any case, here was, here was President Trump's statement last night.
1: Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice, Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi is dead. He was the founder and leader of ISIS, the most ruthless and violent terror organization anywhere in the world. The United States has been searching for Baghdadi for many years. Capturing or killing Baghdadi has been the top national security priority of my administration. U.S. Special Operations Forces executed a dangerous and daring Nighttime raid in northwestern Syria and accomplished their
0: mission in grand style. Okay, well, there's the president announcing what exactly happened. The president also, of course, giving the credit to the U.S. military, which is where the credit belongs. He then goes on to describe exactly what happened. And a lot of people in the media are very upset that he described all of the details of the operation. Frankly, I think it's a good thing. I think that, again, terrorists should know that if you attack American citizens, if you fight American allies if you forcibly convert people or behead them, that the U.S. military is coming for you. And it ain't going to be pretty. The greatest fighting force in the history of the world will come for you, and you will meet your end the same way that bin Laden did and Baghdadi did. Here's President Trump getting pretty detailed and pretty graphic about what happened. Good for him.
1: The U.S. personnel were incredible. I got to watch much of it. No personnel were lost in the operation while a large number of Baghdadi's fighters and companions were killed with him. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. The compound had been cleared by this time, with people either surrendering or being shot and killed.
0: Good. Good. So there are a lot of people very upset with Trump saying this. Oh, he was whimpering and crying. How could Trump say this sort of thing? Why didn't he treat him with a modicum of honor? You remember this in the aftermath of the bin Laden killing? There's a lot of talk about what happened to bin Laden's body, and President Obama announced that it had been dropped at sea and that it had been put out at sea because out of respect, because he didn't want to make a martyr out of him. Okay, this is the opposite of making a martyr out of somebody. When you say that the person was a coward, when you say that the person was just a ridiculous wretch of a human being who was crying and screaming and mewling as he went out. Okay, People were saying, well, this is going to drive ISIS to new heights. First of all, you don't need to piss off ISIS. Okay, The fact is, ISIS, they're kind of famous for not liking Americans and Westerners. I don't think that you need to actually push ISIS in order to attack the West. You know, maybe an, a, a slight upswing in terror in the aftermath of a killing like this, that is sort of natural because whenever you kill a major terror leader, then the group wants to show that it is not, in fact, defunct, but... It's not Trump's words that are going to do that. It's the, absolute, it's, it's the killing of Baghdadi that would presumably result in this kind of brief upswing in terror. But it does great damage to take out their leader. And yes, it does great damage also to point out that the person was a pathetic coward. President Trump then went in into even greater detail about all of this, talking about the children and what Baghdadi did at his very end.
1: Eleven young children were moved out of the house and are uninjured. The only ones remaining were Baghdadi in the tunnel, and he had dragged three of his young children with him. They were led to certain death. He reached the end of the tunnel as our dogs chased him down. He ignited his vest, killing himself and the three children. His body was mutilated by the blast, The tunnel had caved in on it in addition. But test results gave certain immediate and totally positive identification. It was him.
0: Okay, and President Trump then continued. This was the theme. Okay, the main theme of his address was what a pathetic coward Baghdadi was. He came back to this theme later. He talked about Baghdadi as a sick and depraved man, which, of course, he certainly, certainly was.
1: He was a sick and depraved man. And now he's gone. Baghdadi was vicious and violent, and he died in a vicious and violent way as a coward running and
0: crying. Good, good, good. I mean, really good. Let the world know that radical Islamic terrorists who purport to be the bravest among us, they purport to be just the the wisest, the, the wisest, the most holy, the bravest, just filled with courage, that when the American soldiers come for them, when the forces of the West come for them, when the forces of the United States, when America's military comes for them, that they are crying all the way. Good, good. I mean, Frank, I, I, I think it's a great thing. I think, it's, I think what Trump said here is fantastic. Not only do I have no qualms about it, I am cheering when President Trump says all of this. Now, President Trump then makes the only reference really that he makes to his leadership in, in all of this, in, in this clip. He talks about how Baghdadi was on the run for many years long before he took office. Here's what it sounds like.
1: Baghdadi has been on the run for many years, long before I took office. But in my direction, as Commander-in-Chief of the United States, we obliterated his caliphate 100 percent in March of this year. Today's events are another reminder that we will continue to pursue the remaining ISIS terrorists to their brutal end. That also goes for other terrorist organizations. They are likewise in our
0: sights. President Trump then went on to thank Russia, Turkey, Syria, and Iraq, all the involved nations. And he said he wanted to thank the Syrian Kurds for the support they were able to give us. And he said thank you to intelligence professionals. And he concluded by saying that last night was a great night for the United States and for the world. Here's what President Trump had to say.
1: Last night was a great night for the United States and for the world. A brutal killer, one who has caused so much hardship and death, has violently been eliminated. He will never again harm another innocent man, woman or child. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. God bless America.
0: Good, 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 good. And everybody, you'll see, people on the left, how could he say he died like a dog? He keeps saying like a dog, right? This is one of Trump's favorite phrases, like a dog. If you're going to say somebody died like a dog, okay, which is a very, very old phrase in the United States, well, then this would seem to be an appropriate instance of using that. Like, there are many times when he has said like a dog, where I'm like, not sure it's like a dog. In this particular case, I'm with it, man. I'm all in. I'm in it, good is a person who not only deserved to die, the person deserved to die in the worst possible way. This person was a piece of debris. This person was a speck on the shoe of humanity. And President Trump deriding him after his death is more than well-deserved. It is more than well-deserved. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to the press's reaction to this. Suffice it to say, they're less enthused than I am overall about the death of Baghdadi. They're downplaying it. They're saying that Trump really wasn't responsible for it. And we'll contrast that with what they had to say about Osama bin Laden, because it is pretty telling about the journalism of the mainstream media. We'll get to that in just one second. First, you know what Baghdadi could have used aside from a place to hide and not being a horrible terrorist? You could have used some life insurance, because the fact is that when you die, everybody needs life insurance. If you want to properly provide for your family, you need life insurance. You do. Most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage they get through their job, even if your job is providing life insurance which means that your employer life insurance is probably leaving you underinsured, And this is where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for a life insurance plan that is not tied to your job. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will then handle all the paperwork as well as the red tape. The life insurance you buy through Policy Genius, it stays with you even if you leave your job. And Policy Genius doesn't just make it easy to buy life insurance. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance, disability insurance, too. They make it really, really simple, and they they really make the process easier and faster. So, when you are looking at your workplace benefits this month, make sure to double-check those life insurance options. Then go to PolicyGenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. PolicyGenius is, again, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Be an adult, make sure your family is taken care of in case, God forbid, something should happen to you. PolicyGenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. Okay, so... The media quickly responded to all of this. And I'm just going to read you some of the headlines from various media outlets. Now, the worst headline of all was the Washington Post headline. Okay, the Washington Post headline is just unbelievable. It was a, a ridiculous joke. So the original headline was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, Islamic State's terrorist-in-chief dies at 48. Then they changed it. And their headline was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State. Dies at 48. Because that's what he was known for, was being an austere religious scholar. Like, if you were going to think of the Washington Post describing austere religious scholars, it sort of goes like this. Augustine, Aquinas, Maimonides, Luther, Calvin, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. What? So this sent off an entire hashtag trending on Twitter. The Washington Post death notices. And they were indeed hilarious and well-deserved, because the fact is, what the actual, what the actual hell is this headline? Like, really, what in the world is this headline? It's an insane, insane headline. And my own riff on this was, Charles Manson, famous songwriter and meditation leader, dead at 83. Like, it's it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. And the fact that, so the Washington Post came out and they said, we apologize that it was read this way. Oh, do you? Or you could have, you know, not printed a garbage headline like that. This is a really, really bad headline. <laughs> so much journalism happening right there. Endless levels of journalism. Voldemort, austere wizard who overcame a severe facial deformity to achieve dark lordship, dead at 71. Washington Post death notices. Robbie Suave from, uh, from Reason said, Ramsey Bolton, austere diplomat and animal caretaker, <laughs> passes away at home surrounded by his dogs. <laughs> Washington Post Death notices. Like, come on, come on. But it wasn't just that Washington Post headline. Okay, Bloomberg Politics ran this headline. You ready? Islamic State leader Abu Bakr al Baghdadi transformed himself from a little known teacher of Quranic recitation into the self proclaimed ruler of an entity that covered swaths of Syria and Iraq. It's really a do it yourself story, you know, like an up from your bootstraps, rags to riches, to, rags to chopping people's heads off and forcibly raping people story. It's one of those stories. Like, you know, a, a real story of, of triumph over, over obstacles. I can't wait for Bloomberg Politics' retrospective headline Nazi leader Adolf Hitler transformed himself from a little known itinerant landscape painter into the self proclaimed ruler of an entity that covered all of continental Europe. Just well, well done. Well done, Bloomberg Politics. My, like, who, who is like, you know what? These, these are good headlines. Let's do this. These are obviously outliers when it comes to the headlines. Most of the headlines are not nearly as bad as this, but it does show the willingness of many in the mainstream media or some in the mainstream media to cover some for some of the world's worst people. And and you do see this on a fairly regular basis when it comes to obituaries for foreign leaders who die. It can be an awful, awful person. And the obituary will just be about how they're really great with their dogs and they're, they're really into gardening. And then when it's like an American politician, then it's like, well, this was a shaded character we really have to look into. Like somehow you'll end up with Mao and Ronald Reagan in the same basket from obit writers in the mainstream media sometimes. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much of one. Okay, but here are the more mainstream headlines, and you can see what the media are trying to do here. Now, remember, the coverage when Barack Obama ordered the mission that ended in the death of Osama bin Laden was universally glowing. Universally glowing, right? The hashtag gutsy call trended. So it wasn't about the amazing, amazing U.S. military and what they did in that bin Laden raid. This one is... Here's my view when it comes to these sorts of killings. I really do believe that it's more about the unbelievable, incredible level of skill and precision and morality of the American military than it is about the commander-in-chief at any time that one of these things happens. Because it seems to me that one of the easiest jobs as commander-in-chief is to say, look, there's the world's leading terrorist. Go kill him. Right? That seems like a fairly easy job. And as far as the idea that you know if the mission goes wrong, the president pays the price for all of that, that's true. But the president pays the price for everything that goes wrong, how many opportunities does the president have to take out Osama bin Laden or Abu Bakr or al-Baghdadi? That's not to diminish the presidential level of risk that is taken when you order one of these operations, but if I'm going to lay credit anywhere, it's at the feet of the people who actually go in and double-tap bin Laden. It's going to be at the feet of the people who actually chase Abu Bakr or al-Baghdadi into a cave in the middle of a, a firefight, and watch he blows himself sky high, right? Those are the people who really, to me, deserve nearly all of the credit. They have bravery. I don't, they have bravery that the presidents don't. I mean, like they're the ones who are in the line of fire. And it always sort of annoyed me when the media covered the Obama-Bin Laden thing as though Obama had rappelled down the side of a helicopter, personally gone in there and blown away, and blown away Bin Laden. Like it, it always annoyed me. So I'm not really fond of that sort of coverage on either side when it comes to any president. With that said... If you're going to give that coverage to Obama, you certainly have to give that sort of coverage to Trump. But that is not what the media are doing. Today, the media have all sorts of qualms. Amazing. Who could have predicted? They have all sorts of qualms about Trump's announcement. They have qualms about the operation. They have qualms about the fact that Trump gave a shout out to Russia and to and to the Turks and to the Syrian Kurds. They, they have all sorts of issues today. Issues they never had with 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 the killing of Osama bin Laden, that was an unmitigated win for the United States that ended the threat of Al Qaeda, according to many in the media. It was all about President Obama making the strong, gutsy, incredible again, hashtag gutsy call trended for like a week, for like a week. And it was and, and to pretend that the Obama campaign in 2012 did not take advantage of that is to ignore history. It was literally their campaign slogan. Their campaign slogan was Detroit is alive and bin Laden is dead. It was repeated at nearly every rally for a year. So as you'll see, the media are very angry at Trump because they say, oh, Trump's making political hay out of this. Yes, he's the president. So did Barack Obama. Okay, they all are. You mean, you mean he's gonna make hay out of, a, out of a massive foreign policy win, the killing of the leading terrorists on earth? No, no, you don't say. But suddenly the media are very, very upset about all this. Now, let me just, I'm just gonna read you the headlines from the New York Times and the Washington Post today. So the chief headline is, leader of Islamic State dies in commando raid US says, and that's not a terrible headline. I mean, normally you'd want it to be a little bit more active than that, meaning, you know, US, US raids, ISIS compound, leader kills self. You know, but, but in any case, it's not a bad headline. It's true. Okay, then we, get to th- then we get to the other headlines, and they are all editorial. They are all editorial. Okay, Trump knew of plans for the raid when he pulled troops from Syria. The president's abrupt truth withdrawal complicated the Pentagon's plans, forcing it to accelerate the risky operation, military officials said. So in other words, the only reason this operation happened is because of Trump's screwed up Syria policy. Otherwise, we could have waited. It would have been safer. Now, I don't remember people saying that Barack Obama's troop drawdown in Afghanistan and botchery of a foreign policy made our mission in Pakistan more difficult. I don't remember that in the aftermath. Maybe I'm forgetting, but I don't remember that sort of headline from The New York Times. This is all The New York Times. The day after the the killing of bin Laden. Then there's Trump heralds success of mission seeking al-Baghdadi. And then it says, though Mr. al-Baghdadi never loomed in the American psyche like Osama bin Laden, he proved to be tenacious and dangerous enemy to the United States and its allies. So immediately they're making that comparison to, to bin Laden, of course. Then they say the raid was a victory built on factors Trump derides. Ah, you see, Trump really shouldn't be able to take any credit for the victory because Trump doesn't like any of the things that led to the victory. You see, they say the president cast the successful mission as validation of his disengagement strategy, but it required intelligence agencies and allies he has spurned. So in other words, because Trump doesn't trust the intelligence agencies, that means that he doesn't get credit when the intelligence agencies provide him information. Okay, Barack Obama made it his mission in life to slash the American military to the bone. Does that mean he didn't get credit for the bin Laden kill? He literally forced sequestration, half the cuts to come from the military. There has not been a president in my lifetime who hated the American military and its growth the way that Barack Obama did. I mean, he really didn't like the American military on a sort of gut level. I mean, he was constantly talking. I mean, he going way back in his career, early in, in his campaign in 2008, he talked about American, uh, American policy in Afghanistan, air raiding villages and killing children. And, 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 but that didn't take away from the bin Laden kill. The bin Laden kill was still the bin Laden kill. But here, th- those are all the New York Times headlines. Then you get Thomas Friedman's column, al-Baghdadi is dead. The story doesn't end here. President Trump boasts of defeating the Islamic State. He's only showing how ignorant he is. Jessica Stern, the world is fighting more than ISIS. So there is precisely one positive headline about the killing of the leader of ISIS, and it is the lead headline, and all the rest of them are about the various shortcomings of Trump administration policy. Now, as we will see, this is not uncommon. The Washington Post does the exact same thing today. So this is really a great exercise in spotting media bias. If you can't see it, it's because you wish to blind yourself to the media bias. Remember, it was all hashtag gutsy call when it was Barack Obama now that it's Trump's, saying, like, we have some open questions we really need asked. And okay, we'll get to more of that in just a second. First, if politics is making you lose your hair, maybe you ought to deal with that not by stopping following politics but by actually dealing with the hair loss problem. The truth is, it ain't the politics that's making you lose your hair. What's actually making you lose your hair is the fact that it runs in your family. And as the hair is lost, it's very hard for that hair ever to come back, which is why you really ought to focus on keeping your hair. Two out of three dudes will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they are 35. The good news is, with today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss. Keeps has revolutionized the way men are treated for hair loss. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get medication delivered to your home. No more waiting rooms. No more pharmacy checkout lines. Get doctor attention and discreet drug delivery. All from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Prevention is the key. Keeps treatments really do work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you are going to save. So act fast. Many men even experience hair regrowth with Keeps treatments. Find out why Keeps has more 5-star reviews than any of its competitors and nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com/ben. Their treatments start at just 10 bucks a month. Plus for a limited time you get the first month free. Keeps.com/ben to get that first month of treatment for free. That is k e e p s.com/ben. Keeps.com/ben. Okay, so those are the New York Times headlines. The Washington Post headlines are similarly skeptical Similarly skeptical. So the headline in the Washington Post is, Trump says Islamic State leader Baghdadi blew himself up as U.S. troops closed in. And then it says, some analysts question U.S. ability to prevent ISIS resurgence. Oh, so you mean you're going to ask like bigger questions than just Baghdadi's dead, so that doesn't end it? Okay, literally the Obama campaign was run on the premise that al-Qaeda was basically defeated and that ISIS was the JV team in 2012. It was run on this premise. And the media didn't have any serious questions about any of that. There were some of us who were pointing out that killing bin Laden didn't actually end the terror threat from al-Qaeda. But it was a big win, obviously. The fact is the Washington Post had none of those questions. I think it's an okay question, honestly. Like, okay, you killed the leader of of ISIS, does that end? That's a fine question, but the Washington Post, I I do not remember any of these places running headlines the day after the bin Laden kill, going, well, you know, that didn't defeat al-Qaeda, did it? That didn't defeat al-Qaeda. And then it says, in creating spectacle around Baghdadi's death, Trump departs from Obama's more measured tone on bin Laden. That's the headline, right? Trump departs from Obama. Obama was so measured about bin Laden. He was, so, he was so even keel about bin Laden in creating spectacle around Baghdadi. Because we know Obama never created spectacle about bin Laden's death. No spectacle at all. I mean, aside from every campaign rally for the next year and a half, no spectacle, none. And what I most remember about the bin Laden speech Obama's announcement of the bin Laden speech. What I really do remember is how self-effacing Barack Obama was. I remember him just like putting it all on the American military. Oh wait, that's not what I remember at all. What I remember him doing is basically getting up there and suggesting over and over and over that he deserved full credit for the bin Laden kill because it was really, really kind of about him.
2: Then last August, after years of painstaking work by our intelligence community, I was briefed on a possible lead to bin Laden. It was far from certain And it took many months to run this thread to ground. I met repeatedly with my national security team as we developed more information about the possibility that we had located bin Laden hiding within a compound deep inside Pakistan. And finally, last week, I determined that we had enough intelligence to take action and authorized an operation to get Osama bin Laden and bring him to justice. Today, at my direction, the United States launched a targeted operation
0: against that compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Hey, you hear Obama in that clip? A lot of me there, right? A lot of Obama. Oh. You might say that he was creating a spectacle around bin Laden's death. You might say that. You might say that Barack, listen, that's his prerogative. He was the president when bin Laden was killed. But let's be straight about this. Barack Obama was not shy exactly about the about the killing of Osama bin Laden. He wasn't shy and retiring. And by the way, I'm old enough to remember also that for all the talk about Barack Obama's gutsy call, there were multiple reports that Barack Obama canceled the operation to kill bin Laden on three separate occasions before finally approving the May 2nd, 2011 Navy SEAL mission. There's a book by Richard Miniter writing that Obama canceled the mission in January 2011, again in February, a third time in March. And then there were reports that he had been asked on like a Thursday, to approve the raid. And then he waited for days on end to approve the raid. So, you know, all, all the talk about the, the gutsy call, but the media didn't have any of those questions. It was a gutsy call. He got the credit. And by the way, he did deserve the credit. He finally made the right call. He finally made the right call. So he gets the credit. But I'm just going to point out that the media had none of these questions about any of this stuff. And the skeptical treatment of the Baghdadi death by the people on the left, all of them are like, yeah, we're all celebrating today. But it contrasts very strongly with the Bin Laden's dead. It's all about, look, it justifies his entire foreign policy. Did anybody worry, like James Clapper, who was the head of of Obama's, he was director of national intelligence, James Clapper. He was worrying over the weekend that Baghdadi's death could actually galvanize ISIS. Just, I'm wondering, when he was serving in the Obama administration, did he have those same worries when Bin Laden was killed?
2: A huge uh, symbolic meaning for taking out uh, Baghdadi, uh, who... Uh, has been uh, uh, a target for for some time. I think what's going to be interesting is to the extent to which this uh, negatively affects ISIS, or does it galvanize ISIS, the remnants of ISIS, which still survives uh, as an ideology
0: and has franchises in other places besides Syria? So probably we shouldn't have killed him. Probably shouldn't have killed him. You know, it might galvanize ISIS other places. Probably should have let him just like keep living over there and everything would have been OK. Ambassador Dana Smith, who was the Obama ambassador to Qatar. She had a long thread talking about how terrible it was that Trump used this sort of language to describe the death of, of Baghdadi. She said this gruesome, vivid and probably exaggerated description of dogs chasing down Baghdadi will endanger our personnel in the region. When bin Laden was killed, we were careful, to be clear, he had been given a proper Muslim burial, not because we gave a damn about him, but because it was important for our relationships in the region and safety. Also, it's how America rules with honor. We don't delight in death like the terrorists do. This description is horrifying. Should go without saying, but to be perfectly clear, I'm remarking on the presser, not on the actual operation. The killing of Baghdadi was unquestionably good and necessary. Okay, but what evidence do we have that um, people stop, like, that the terrorists stop hating us if we treat their dead with innate levels of tremendous respect. By the way, Trump isn't talking about like Marines going and pissing on his remains or something. He's talking about what this guy did. It isn't about how Americans treated his remains. It wasn't about us defacing his remains. He's talking about this guy's end. He's talking about this person was a coward and you shouldn't follow cowards. If you read the writings of Osama bin Laden, so much of his writing is about how the United States is a weak horse. He kept using that phrase, a weak horse. The United States was, was a paper tiger. The United States didn't have strong leadership like he was. They weren't brave One of the key tactics that is used by terrorists is calling their opponents cowards and portraying themselves as puffed up and brave. And so pointing out to would-be followers that no, actually your leader is a guy who like blows himself up in a tunnel with little kids because he's pathetic. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Now, you've also seen members of the political class immediately swiveling back to critiquing Trump's foreign policy generally. You can't just give him the win. You have to then swivel back to his foreign policy generally, which again... I'm kind of okay with on a political level, but I'm just going to point out the Democrats were not doing this when it was Barack Obama, when Barack Obama was busily withdrawing American troops from Iraq and leading to the rise of ISIS at the exact same time that bin Laden was killed. No comment like that from Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi put out a statement saying the death of al-Baghdadi is significant, but the death of this ISIS leader does not mean the death of ISIS. Scores of ISIS fighters remain under uncertain conditions in Syrian prisons. Countless others in the region and around the world remain intent on spreading their influence and committing acts of terror. Okay, all of that may be true. I, I, I kind of, I agree with the assessment. But there is something deeply ironic about the Democrats swiveling from the kill of a major terrorist leader over to, well, President Trump's generalized foreign policy is bad because they were not willing. I, I remember this. I remember it vividly. When Republicans said the same thing about bin Laden in 2011, it was, oh, well, it's just because you can't appreciate the genius of Obama. It's because you don't like Obama. You just can't give him the win. Why well, can't just give him the win. Okay, well, why can't you guys just give him the win? All right, fine. If that's the way this game is played, then why can't you just give President Trump the win? And we're going to give you some more details of the actual raid. There's a pretty good report in the New York Times by Eric Schmidt, Helene Cooper, and Julian Barnes talking about how exactly this whole thing went down. We'll get to that in just one second. First, the fact is that it is very difficult to keep track of your business. You know, we run a business here at Daily Wire. We've got over 100 employees, and you really have to know your business in and out. You have to know when you're in growth mode. You have to know when you're in cutback mode. You have to know every single detail of how your business works. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that growing businesses have, and that very often keeps them from knowing their numbers, is this hodgepodge of business systems that is out there. This is why you need NetSuite by Oracle. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control that you actually need to grow. This is really important to handling how your business works. With NetSuite, you have time, money, and unneeded headaches. You save them by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. That is why NetSuite is the world's number one Cloud business system. If you want to know everything down to the most minute granular detail about your business, you really can't afford to use anything else right now. NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide: seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com/shapiro. That's netsuite.com/shapiro. N E T S U I T E dot com/shapiro, and download that free guide: seven key strategies to grow your profits. netsuite.com/shapiro. Go check them out right now. Okay, in just one second, we'll give you some more details on the actual on the actual raid on the Baghdadi compounds and the death of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, which, again, is a major win for the United States. First, you have to go and subscribe over at dailywire.com. When you do, for $9.99 a month, you get a subscription that brings you all sorts of goodies, including full access to our Daily Wire's amazing app, it's here. It's fantastic. If you're a subscriber, you can access all of our content, including articles, shows, and more straight from the app. All Access subscribers get our new exclusive discussion features where they can interact directly with hosts, writers, and other special guests. The app is available on Apple and Android. So download today, become a subscriber, and come join the fun. It really is fantastic. Also, when you subscribe and you do the 99, year, 99 bucks a year thing, you also get this, the very greatest in all beverage vessels, that leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. Apparently, some of the editors of the Washington Post are filling mine today because, my goodness, that was a terrible headline. Go check out all of these aforementioned glories at dailywire.com. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, according to the New York Times... President Trump knew the CIA and special operations commandos were zeroing in on the location for Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the Islamic State leader, when he ordered American troops to withdraw from northern Syria earlier this month. For months, intelligence officials had kept Trump apprised of what he had set as a top priority, the hunt for Mr. al-Baghdadi, the world's most wanted terrorist. Apparently, Pentagon officials had to speed up their plan for the risky night raid before their ability to control troops, spies, and reconnaissance aircraft disappeared with the pullout. So the Syrian pullout meant that we had to speed up The timetable, which means, again, the American military are unbelievable at what they do. I mean, just the greatest in world history at what they do. More than a half dozen Pentagon military intelligence and counterterrorism officials provided a chronology of the raid. The planning for the raid began this past summer when the CIA first got surprising information about al-Baghdadi's general location in a village deep inside a part of northwestern Syria controlled by rival al-Qaeda groups. The information came after the arrest and interrogation of one of Mr. al-Baghdadi's wives and a courier, to American officials said. Armed with that initial tip, the CIA worked closely with Iraqi and Kurdish intelligence officials in Iraq and Syria to identify more precisely al-Baghdadi's whereabouts and to put spies in place to monitor his periodic movements. American officials said the Kurds continued to provide information to the CIA on al-Baghdadi's location, even after Trump's decision to withdraw American troops left the Syrian Kurds to confront the Turkish offensive alone. The Syrian and Iraqi Kurds, according to one official, provided more intelligence for the raid than any other single country. According to a Syrian engineer who spoke with villagers living near the raid site, al-Baghdadi had sought shelter in the home of Abu Muhammad Salama, a commander of another extremist group, Huras al-Din. The commander's fate in that raid and the precise nature of his relationship to al-Baghdadi are not clear. As the army's elite Delta Force commando unit began drawing up and rehearsing plans to conduct the mission to kill or capture the ISIS leader, they knew they faced formidable hurdles. The location was deep inside territory controlled by al-Qaeda. The skies over that part of the country were controlled by Syria and Russia. The military called off missions at least twice at the last minute. The final planning for the raid came together over two to three days last week. A senior administration official said al-Baghdadi was about to move, and military officials sped up their timeline. They said if Baghdadi moved again, it would be harder to track him down with the American military pulling out. By Thursday and then Friday, Defense Secretary Mark Esper said on ABC's This Week that Trump, quote, gave us the green light to proceed. Around midnight on Sunday morning in the region, 5 p.m. Saturday in Washington, eight American helicopters, primarily CH-47 Chinooks, took off from the military base near Irbil in Iraq. Flying low and fast to avoid detection, the helicopters quickly crossed the Syrian border and then flew all the way across Syria itself, a dangerous 70-minute flight in which the helicopters took sporadic ground fire to the Berisha area just north of Idlib City in western Syria. Just before landing, the helicopters and other warplanes began firing on a compound of buildings, providing cover for commandos with the Delta Force and their military dogs to descend into a landing zone. Trump said with helicopter gunships firing from above, the commandos bypassed the front door fearing a booby trap before destroying one of the compound's walls. They then rushed through and confronted a group of ISIS fighters. Apparently, this is all being piped into the White House Situation Room from surveillance aircraft orbiting over the battlefield. Delta Force commandos under fire entered the compound. They shot and killed a number of people. As the Delta Force team breached the wall with explosives, an Arabic linguist advised children and other non-combatants to flee because America is phenomenal. A decision commanders credited with saving 11 of the children al-Baghdadi had in his compound. al-Baghdadi then ran into an underground tunnel with the American commandos in pursuit. Trump said that the ISIS leader took three children with him, presumably to use his human shield, because this is what terrorists do. This is why whenever you hear about the United States negotiating with the Taliban or Israel negotiating with Hezbollah or Hamas or the Palestinian Authority or Islamic Jihad, Remember that al-Baghdadi is fairly typical of terrorists, a person who uses human shields this way, including children. Fearing that al-Baghdadi was wearing a suicide vest, the commandos dispatched a military dog to subdue al-Baghdadi. And then he set off the explosives, did Baghdadi setting and killing the three children. Esper said he's in a compound, that's right, with a few other men and women with him, a large number of children. Our special operators have tactics and techniques and procedures that try to go through and call them out. At the end of the day, as the president said, he decided to kill himself and took some small children with him, I believe. Mr. Esper did not say that the that didn't repeat the whimpering and crying assertion made by Trump. He said the president probably had the opportunity to talk to the commanders on the ground, so... You know, we'll see if that bears out or if that is Trump getting poetic. At 715 Washington time on Saturday, the special ops commander on the ground reported al-Baghdadi had been killed. Five other enemy combatants were killed in the compound and additional enemies were killed in the vicinity. The American military dog was wounded in al-Baghdadi's suicide vest explosion and was taken away. By the way, I'm not a dog fan. I will adopt that dog in one heartbeat. I mean, come on. That is an amazing dog right there. After the raid, the commandos removed the 11 children from the site and handed them over to a woman in the area. The military then ordered the destruction of the site to ensure it would not in the future become a shrine to ISIS. Altogether, American troops were on the ground in the compound for about two hours. Also, we scooped up DNA from the ISIS leader, and they made a quick assessment that they had the right man. And then, after Americans piled back into the helicopters and started returning to Iraq, American warplanes bombed the compound to ensure that it was physically destroyed. Which... the utter badassery of the American military is just spectacular. It is just absolutely incredible and spectacular. And freedom has no better friend and and tyranny no worse enemy than the American military. I mean, do not f effle- with the American military is the end of that particular story. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Meanwhile, over the weekend, there there is some talk about impeachment gate 2019. But a lot of the talk actually was about this other investigation that is going on late in the week. It broke that the Trump DOJ was opening a criminal investigation, apparently, into Trump Russia investigation itself, into the origins of the Trump Russia investigation, trying to figure out how it was that all of this bad information profused the American intelligence services, how the American intelligence services used that information. Did they violate the law in the use of that information to go after members of the Trump campaign. And you can see Democrats are pretty nervous about all of this stuff. Democrats are immediately trying to delegitimize the investigation. Now, it's again, it's funny. The media and Democrats will get very angry when Trump delegitimizes the impeachment inquiry or delegitimizes the Mueller report, but when it comes to John Durham, who is the lawyer who's in charge of this particular investigation and has a very, very serious reputation, when it comes to John Durham leading this investigation, then they have no problem downplaying the veracity of the investigation Adam Schiff who wants to investigate the president up to and including his colonic movements, Adam Schiff suddenly has a real problem when it comes to this investigation. He says you can assign good people and it's still an illegitimate investigation.
2: But look, you can assign. Would good you accept people. the results of such an investigation? Well, I was going to say you can assign good people to do an illegitimate investigation. You can assign good people to investigate the president's political rivals. It doesn't mean that the investigation is any less tainted. Uh, This is tainted because of the motivation, which is a political one to serve the president's political interests.
0: Oh, you see, it's a political investigation when it's John Durham, who is not really a political figure carrying it out because Adam Schiff doesn't like any of this, right? And James Comey is doing the same thing, right? James Comey, who presumably will come up in this investigation, he was fired at the behest of President Trump because he refused to say publicly that Trump was not under investigation by the intelligence services. James Comey, over the weekend, he said, you know, I think this this John Durham guy, he might be damaged. I'm just concerned for John Durham's reputation, you know? It's, it's not that I have any personal stake in this. I'm not worried about the investigation at all, but I think Durham might be damaged. I'm worried about his rep, guys. That's really the issue here. John Durham is someone who has a strong professional reputation, someone I, I've for years thought was an excellent prosecutor.
1: I can't tell what's going on with the attorney general. I would hope that Mr. Durham
0: will do everything possible to protect his reputation from being damaged by those in leadership. That was Comey at Politicon. Schiff, by the way, came out and ripped Bill Barr for weaponizing the Justice Department. Here's what that sounded like. Bill
2: Barr's Justice Department is doing a criminal investigation of people who properly looked into Russian interference in our election uh, in the FBI or in the intelligence agencies. It means that Bill Barr on the president's behalf is weaponizing the Justice Department to go after the president's enemies. i served for years. uh, I don't anymore on a commission that would help emerging democracies. Uh, and we would always inform the parliamentarians in these democracies, when you win an election, you don't seek to just prosecute the losing side. But this is what Bill Barr is seeking to do. He is demonstrating, once again, that he is merely a tool of the president, the president's hand. ok. So
0: you can tell that Schiff, Comey, people are a little nervous on the left side of the aisle as to what exactly this investigation is going to come up with. What exactly are we going to find at the root of the Trump-Russia investigation? Who was coordinating with whom? Was this thing conducted in both good faith and without violation of law? Jonathan Swan, reporter from Axios, very good reporter, he pointed out John Durham has a very serious reputation. Okay, This is not a guy who's going to put his career on the line for what he feels to be a bad investigation from the very beginning, a politically motivated investigation. Here's Swan reporting. John Durham has a very serious reputation, and uh, I don't think that at this point, that decision, to, he thinks that we've reached a threshold, that we can open a criminal investigation. My guess, based on his reputation, is that was based on facts. We don't know what that criminal aspect is. It could be a leak investigation. It could be something to do with classified information. We saw a lot. OK, so. So, again, Swan is correct. This is a serious investigation. I think Democrats are a little bit worried about it. Meanwhile, the media continue to run with impeachment gate 2019. The latest breaking news in that story is that apparently. Apparently, someone. The, uh, the uh, Gordon Sunland, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, apparently told House committees that he believed that Ukraine agreed to open investigation into Burisma Group and into alleged 2016 election interference was a condition for a White House meeting between Trump and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, according to Sunland's lawyer. Now, that is different from what Sunland had said in his text messages with Bill Taylor, who was the highest ranking American official in Ukraine. In those text messages, Taylor had said, this feels like a quid pro quo. And Sunland said, no, 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 this is no quid pro quo. But the question is not really whether it's a quid pro quo. The question is whether it is an illicit quid pro quo. And I laid out that entire theory of the case, whether the quid pro quo itself was illicit. What exactly was Trump requesting? Was he trying to investigate the miasma of Ukrainian corruption that he was very upset about because of 2016, or was it more about getting Joe Biden and trying to push the Ukrainian government into investigating an American citizen? Is that really what was at the crux of all of this? I tend to believe not. I tend to believe the first story, but the media are jumping all over this. The White House has taken the bizarre line that there was no quid pro quo at all, which is a line I don't think is is really effective at this point. Very early on in this investigation, I said it's not clear there was a quid pro quo, specifically because there were multiple reports that Ukraine didn't even know Know it had been deprived of military aid. Then, as time went on, it became clearer that Ukraine knew that it had been deprived of military aid, and also it became clear that they wanted a meeting with President Trump that they weren't getting. Yes, there was a quid pro quo. The question is again whether it was an illicit quid pro quo. John Kelly, who's the former White House chief of staff, he did an interview at the Sea Island Summit political conference hosted by the Washington Examiner over the weekend, and he said, "Listen." I warned Trump that he might be impeached if there weren't advisors there to stop him from making mistakes like this.
2: Whatever you do, don't don't hire a yes man, someone that's going to tell you uh, or it won't tell you the truth. Don't do that. Cuz if you do, I believe you'll be impeached.
0: Okay, and the, the thing that, that Kelly is saying there is not that he believes that President Trump is constantly violating the law, he believes that he needs people around him to inform him where the legal limits are, when something is a good idea, when something is a bad idea. And frankly, I think that Kelly is not wrong here. I mean, the fact is that if there had been someone around Trump saying, no, you're not allowed to outsource your Ukrainian foreign policy to Rudy Giuliani, stop this nonsense. If there had been someone around Trump saying, you know, you really shouldn't try to investigate what's going on in Ukraine via wild rumors being fed to you by your personal lawyer, Right. Maybe Trump wouldn't have listened, but it would have been good to have somebody. Kelly said, I regret resigning because of all of that. He said that he he wishes that there had been somebody who was there telling Trump no. And then Trump immediately fired back. He gave a statement to CNN. He said, John Kelly never said that. He never said anything like that because Kelly said that he told Trump not to hire a yes man. Trump said, John Kelly never said that. He never said anything like that. If he would have said that, it would have thrown him out of the office. He just wants to come back into the action like everybody else does which is a a very weird, like he doesn't want back into the White House. And then the White House press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, she said, I worked with John Kelly and he was totally unequipped to handle the genius of our great president. (laughs) That is not a good way to rebut charges that you have surrounded yourself with the yes people, by the way. If somebody says you surround yourself with the yes people and you're like, here is my spokesperson who will say that you are totally unequipped to handle my great genius. Not the world's best rebuttal there from President Trump. Again, does this mean that Trump is guilty of impeachable offenses? No, it doesn't. It means that Trump is more likely to run directly into sinkholes, political sinkholes, when there is no one there to hold him back. Does that mean that he purposely ran into the sinkhole? Does it mean that he should be? No. It just means it would have been good to have somebody saying to him no. Right. That would have been a useful, useful thing. Okay, time for a quick thing I like and then a quick thing that I hate. So, quick thing that I like today. So, there are a lot of long rides. We're here in Israel still. It's been a fantastic, phenomenal trip. Gotten a lot of opportunities to go to some really cool places. Yesterday, went to Masada with the kids. Well, that means that we do have a driver over here for security reasons. And my, uh, not because it's an insecure country, just because I hate a public figure, and all this. Well, in any case, I sit in the back of the car, and I've got kids on one, a kid on one side, and a kid on the other. And these are long rides. That means it's time to watch some movies, and the movies that they want to watch. Always and forever are Pixar movies. They love the Pixar films. And honestly, as an adult, you don't end up... Like, when you're going out to a movie with your wife, you don't end up going out to see Pixar films, just as a general rule. But they're really great. I mean, they're better than most of the movies that are out there. I hadn't seen Incredibles 2. It's really good and really funny. So if you're looking for a great movie to watch with your kids tonight, Incredibles 2 would be the movie. It really is... Like, I have laughed harder at Incredibles 2 than I've laughed at any comedy that I've seen in the last five years, because it really is... Except for maybe the death the death of Stalin. It's really it's really good. Here's a little bit of the trailer for Incredibles too. Did you wash your hands with soap? Did you dry them?
2: What? Is this all vegetables?
1: Who wanted all vegetables? I did. So are we going to talk
0: about it? What? The elephant in the room. What an elephant? Mom's new job. Okay, so it's it's a little bit it's a little bit scary for for little kids. Like my my three year old's a little bit scared by it. Not too much because the the villain in it has kind of a scary voice and a scary look. But the all the stuff with the little baby with the, with superpowers is pretty phenomenal. And it also has, like, half the cast of Breaking Bad, which is kind of hilarious. Like, it's, it's got the guy who plays uh, Saul, uh, like, Better Call Saul. It's got Mike Ehrman Trout. So if you, if it's, it's got this weird crossover. So it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Go check it out. Totally worth the watch. Incredibles too. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So President Trump visited the Nationals game last night. And at this Nationals game... He was roundly booed, which is not a shock at all. I mean, he's in Washington, D.C. The crowd at the Washington Nationals game is going to be profoundly anti-Trump. they were cheering the American troops. They were booing President Trump. And this, of course, became a national news story. Oh, they booed the president of the United States. And yeah, yeah, you know what? If Barack Obama had gone to a Houston Astros game in the middle of, the, of his presidency, presumably he would have been booed as well. It's not, really, uh, it's, it's not really a national news story, but it is a story because, obviously, whenever the president is booed like that, it's not a good look. I will say that the day that you kill one of the world's leading terrorists to get booted at a ballpark is, that's uh, a weird, it's a weird thing from fans. It's a very weird thing from fans. But, you know, politics is politics. I sort of get it. What is ridiculous, what is purely ridiculous is, the, is Saturday Night Live. So Saturday Night Live literally did a skit on Saturday night. I mean, you're talking about bad timing. Saturday Night Live did a skit on Saturday night in which they thanked Trump. He had a, ter- had a terrorist, someone playing a terrorist, thanking Trump for bringing jobs back to ISIS. The day before, the morning before Trump announced the killing of al-Baghdadi. So here is this SNL skit.
1: Who's next? You, sir, please. Oh, sir, thank great you. great to see a young Trump supporter. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank, thank you. you. And uh, where are you from, So New Mexico? ISIS. Yeah, I was a prisoner in Syria until last week when you freed me. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you for bringing jobs back Ugh. to ISIS. And I promise that I will make ISIS great again. <laughs> Terrific. What a great guy. ISIS
0: yeah, been- and then we killed... Uh, now, by the way, we didn't just kill Baghdadi over the weekend. We also killed his right-hand man. We had a... There, there was a... Uh, I think we hit him with a Hellfire missile, which is a hell of a way to go. So... Bringing jobs back to ISIS. <laughs> Some bad timing there from Saturday Night Live. Okay, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of celebratory content because, I mean, hey, it's a great day in America and the West when you kill the world's leading terrorist. That's a pretty good thing. We'll be back here Later today to talk about it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant Director Pavel Wydowski, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Karomina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production Assistant Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019.
2: Hey, everybody, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Klavan Show. You know, some people are depressed because the American Republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching,
1: and the moon is turned to blood. But on The Andrew Klavan Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on
2: over to The Andrew Klavan Show and laugh your way through the apocalypse with me, Andrew Klavan. We'll
0: get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free